for another episode of First Strike. Before we start the show, as always, got to plug our sponsor, FaceFaceGames.com, the number one place to get Magic the Gathering singles. Black Friday Cyber, Cyber Monday sale just ended, but this week we have 15% off all dual decks, singles, and sealed products. So 15% off. Take advantage of that. Go to FaceFaceGames.com. Tonight, full house. Didn't expect this. Usually when I message these guys, like, who's free tonight? Who's, who's, who's willing? Who's going to battle uh, the ginger? It's usually, hey, I, I, I'm busy with this. I'm busy with that. Everyone's free, which Woo. is kind of nuts. So instead of jumping in the meat and potatoes of this cast that, that people want to know our thoughts on Modern, um, maybe except Derek's, let's go to something more general, something that, that applies to all of us probably which is a question, hot topic with, with artists um, being unhappy with, with how they're being compensated at GPs. Wedge, the man of source, came up with a poll that, that 4,853 people voted on. Would you pay a $5 entry fee to attend a Magic Fest Grand Prix if the proceeds went directly to helping artists? And the first counter argument for people like, why should main event people pay for the artists and stuff like that. But let's go. Let's see. For first reaction, let's go with you, Andy. What's your first reaction on this? So my first reaction is like, if an artist came up to me and was like, hey, would you give me $5 out of your GP? I'd be like, yes, of course I would pay five extra dollars. But deep down in my heart of hearts, I absolutely do not want to. But that's just because they're, they're not there. I feel like they're not there for me. Like every once in a while, I'll go and like buy some prints. I feel like it seems so strange for like all these main event people to foot the bill for these artists. Like I do understand you want to get the artists there to attract more people to the event, (laughs) but uh, I don't want to pay an extra $5 for my GP entry. If it goes directly to the artists, if like, if they told me $5 of my GP entry goes to the artists and they force me to pay it, I'll pay it and I'll be fine with it, I guess, but I'll pay whatever they tell me to pay. (laughs) <laughs> but uh, I think uh, I'd rather not. I'd rather someone else do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's get someone from, from Baller Vancouver's opinion. John, Mr. Final Nub, how do you feel about spending that extra cash to compensate artists? Well, look, I've been, I've been on the same for like two years. And every time I've always like wondered, like, other conventions charge money for a pass or a day pass for a uh, we can pass and whatnot, and yet we have Grand Prix who more and more looks like a um, festival, you know, like celebration of magic uh, rather than just like a pure tournament. And we're not charging anything for that. And, you know, the fact that the main, and main event um, competitors are su- subsidizing everything for everyone else just, just seems silly to me, you know, and I'm very surprised that this idea really hasn't um, uh, struck struck um people's board uh, until now and i i think that it it doesn't like it doesn't necessarily have to go all like everything ha- not everything has to go to the artists and whatnot but i think that um it's about time we follow other people's um uh, other events uh, footsteps and just start doing this because you know it, it really isn't just about the main event it's really about a celebration and they're really rebranding the events to be a magic fest i still hate that name but it's true <laughs> And um, yeah, like the more they do that, the more I think it's time to just start like 
start charging like a minuscule five ten dollars and that i think people will still come and pay the five dollars to play their edh play their draft look around for artists etc it's not for me man it doesn't mean that's where um not for anyone else mm, good point and now for a different take on this issue mr derek played as always highly controversial man what's your take yeah i don't really care <laughs> i mean like the the only artist I really care about is this nice uh, French artist. Uh, I think her name is Veronique, and I don't know how to pronounce her last name. She did the Zendikar bowls. Uh, every time she's in Montreal, I always buy something from her because I love her art. Uh, other than her, I really just don't care if they're there. Uh, I'm there to play the GP. Um, I think uh, it was touched on. I don't remember who exactly said it, but like... Like, like I'm there to play the GP. It's a magic festival, you know? Like, if somebody else wants these artists there, somebody else should be paying for them, you know? Like, uh, it, it kind of sucks that I'm paying this amount of money to play a GP while artists sign things in the background of people talking to me, right? You know? So, like, why, why would I worry about uh, these artists being here? I think it's a part of the the culture now though to have artists there like you have artists at these SCGs and you have artists at these GPs so for sure have them there but don't make me pay any more for them because I don't want to make somebody else pay for them I've paid enough <laughs> yeah but let's look at this from uh, from uh, CFB's perspective what if I told you there's this fantasy land where you have this group of people who will just always pay five more dollars and that could support all of the other little things you want to do. Would you keep charging these people who will always pay $5? Do these, do these people also want to buy my Greenback Deck Guide? Because if, if those people always want to pay five more dollars, I got, I got something for $5 they can buy. <laughs> the thing is, if CFP told me that you pay five extra dollars for this GP and you get Derek's Cyborg Guide, you know I'm paying for it. How much would you pay for a signed photo of my face? Five more dollars, I assume. How much would you pay for a signed photo of Squirtle's face? If it's included in the GP entry, I'll pay it. Okay, we're in. Okay, we don't need the artists anymore. Just me and Squirtle in the background, giving out copies of pictures of my face. <laughs> All right, Elliot, let's get your, your opinion. Yeah, I hate to agree with these guys because I feel like that goes against every bone in my body, but... If CFB tells me I'm going to pay $100 for the Grand Prix or $95 for the Grand Prix, it really doesn't make that big of a difference to me. I think that, or at least when I originally read Wedge's tweet, it was more aimed at like the people who are just streaming in. And to be honest, I don't know if a lot of them will be like super happy with being told they have to pay $5. Every once in a while, I'll see like a post on Reddit where someone's saying, oh, I just started playing Magic three months ago or something, and I'm just going to go to my local Grand Prix, what does it cost to enter? And sometimes they're surprised that it's free, but like the fact that it is free is probably getting people in from the local scene that might not be interested in playing a side event, but kind of want to just show up, see the experience, and you know jam some games of EDH with their friend. Is $5 a prohibitive cost? No, but where do you draw the line? Are you going to charge a 12-year-old $5 at the door? Are you going to charge a dad with his two seven-year-olds ten dollars or fifteen dollars at the door now like you know are we saying everyone 15 and up has to pay five dollars like i don't know i i think that there's 
maybe that's just getting the logistics of it and it's actually a fine policy. I, I've, I don't know if I'm the right person to ask. I'll, I'll pay $100 for a Grand Prix or $95. I've gotten cards signed once at a Grand Prix. <laughs> Artists are cool, I guess. I don't know. So you uh, got to pay 20 extra dollars to bring his family and his twins. And... It'd be like a babysitting service. You pay a little bit more and you can put your kids with the artists. That's what you're really paying for. One question I have is at what increment of $5 do you stop paying to go to a Grand Prix? Cause like I remember my first Grand Prix was $30 in Toronto. It was the God awful modern format. And I was like, wow, $30. 16-year-old Derek can't afford that, but, like, I paid for it anyways, and now I'm paying, like, $100 for Grand Prix, and I'm like, oh, what, whatever, uh, I want to play this Grand Prix. But, like, at some point, $30, it was $30 Canadian. Uh, I think, I'm pretty sure it was 30 or $40, but, like, it was extremely cheap. And, uh, like, now when I think about it, I'm like, why am I paying $100 for this Grand Prix when I could stay home and grind moto all day? Because that's the life I've chosen. But like, at what point do I stop paying this amount of money? And I don't know the line yet. I haven't found it. I, I keep paying. So I don't know. <laughs> we live in a capitalist society. I'm sure Channel Fireball will keep pushing the envelope. Um, I really wish they wouldn't. But I want to know, does it, is there a line? Like, does anybody know if there's a line? Well, I, I, I think... I really hope no one from CFP Entertainment is watching this or CFP events because <laughs> I'm going to be totally honest. If they said from now on every Grand Prix is $200, I'm not going to stop going. I'm still going to play Grand Prix. Like, they got me on the hook, okay? Like, I might consider stop going. I, <laughs> like, I, think, I think 150 is where I'm like, maybe it's time to reevaluate and I just make my house a bit more cleaner and nicer so I can be here all the time. Like if, if a Grand Prix costs 150 or 200 dollars, maybe I don't go to all of the ones that are within seven hours or whatever it is. But unless unless they told me exactly GP Toronto's 200 dollars, the rest are 100, maybe I'd skip that one. I don't know. But it, they have a monopoly. What am I going to do? I, I hate that you're right. Because like, what are we going to do? Uh, you know. I guess I'll go play the $90 entry SCG tour. The key is just raise it by $5 like every few months because you're like, eh, we do that enough. And then eventually we're just paying $8.95 to play in this standard GP 2039. We're all very old. And we're still there. We're still hooked. And we're all showing up like expecting to do well when it's actually just like Owen Turnwald and Seth Manfield in top eight the entire time. <laughs> How do we keep losing? I mean, oh. think about it. If they had a thousand dollar entry Grand Prix, you're probably locked for top sixteen, which is just a refund. <laughs> what? If they charge a thousand dollars, how many people are going to show up? Probably. Every, like, you do realize that there are a lot more people in the Magic community that are MTG finance that have more money than brains to play Magic. Okay, I really hope I'll they show up and I'll beat the people with no brains for magic. There's Are you like afraid a, of people with no brains for magic, Derek. I am. If there's like, I'm sure there's an amount of people, like 300 people, that would be like, oh, thousand dollar Grand Prix, I'll play that, and then they just show up with their mono red deck that they net decked because they're net deckers, and they just run you over because you're 
We got a little unlucky that day. And there goes a thousand dollars. No, you don't think that's realistic? I would totally play a high stakes uh, magic for what it's worth. And I, I, know, I, know, no. I know. I know. There's a few poker players slash uh, magic players as well. So I don't think it's that bad. What, yet. What's your upper limit, Final Nub? I don't know. Like, I played in like the World Series of Poker events. That's like three thousand US and all that. So maybe a couple thousand. Yeah, I would draw like two, four, maybe five, ten. That's my limit. <laughs> I would just grind that all day. No, Fine. no need to play these thousand dollar events on the weekends. You catch me out on Twitch.tv <laughs> trying to get those three twos. Hey. Derek, I gotta ask you. I actually looked you up on uh, MTG Elo. I saw that you went a very strong one on three in Grand Prix Toronto 2012 Modern. What were you playing, and how did you flame out? Uh, I was on Elves. Um, it was Cloudstone Curio Elves, and I. What happened? I didn't have any buys. I played Blue White Control round one. Uh, I won that round. And then I got paired against Tron, Tron, Tron? Or it was like Tron, Jund, Tron. And that's when Jund was like the best possible deck it could ever be. Had Deathrite Shaman, had uh, Bloodbraid Elf, was playing Blightning. So like, as an Elves player, you just can't ever beat this deck. And I'm just like in the 1-0 bracket getting paired against Jund, and then I got paired against Tron, and then I got paired against Tron again. And I don't think I played another GP for like a year after that. I was like, what, why am I doing this? This is awful. Well, we can get the fact check. Did he play another GP until a year after that? I think the next one I played was GP Toronto the following year. That is correct. 2013. Yeah. You beat uh, Melissa DeToro. Yeah, in round three. Uh, I got paired against her. Um, it was limited. I horrendously misbuilt my deck. I opened three uh, lightning strikes and two um, Magma Jets in Theros Sealed, and they were the splash color. So I thought that I wouldn't play the third Lightning Strike because I didn't want that much removal, and I didn't want to play that many red sources. And then every person I talked to in the day was like, you're the dumbest person I've ever talked to. And yeah, and then Edgar Top aided that event. And yeah, so... We can definitely fact check. It's verifiable that Derek is the dumbest person whoever said that has talked to. We know it to be true. <laughs> yeah, my, uh, my first couple of GP experiences were not very good. It took me a long time and a lot of berating from Rob Lombardi before I started thinking critically about the game. And uh, yeah, the more you know. I, I was thinking about. Um... What you were saying, Elliot, and then what John was saying about back to the GP entry fee. Um, I was thinking, like, as a vendor, speaking of like face to face games, we wouldn't want, but there's vendors that the counter to that, there's vendors at these anime cons, at these comic cons, and stuff like that. But as face to face games, I wouldn't want there to be like an, an entry fee. I want more people to randomly show up and buy cards at my booth or, or any of these other vendors would probably rather that. So, but then again, like the counter to that, as I said, is, is all these different cons do have this entry fee. A lot of them are even higher. Like a lot of these things you have to pay at least 50, 60 bucks to get in. 
but yeah, so so I don't know where what you want would want to do because honestly, as a store, I wouldn't want <laughs> there to be. And for the face to face game series, as we're uh, setting up the 2019 schedule, there's going to be Vancouver early. Too bad you can't make it, John. But uh, we're we're trying to promote the fact that uh, these are free to check out, that you can come and play any side event. And uh, we haven't done a great job of it previously because in the past few years, as someone who has to answer a lot of these, whether it's social media questions or emails, a lot of people, dads or, or whoever, really ask, like, can I bring my kids just to check things out? Is it free to just enter the venue? That's like the most, if I had to rate lists, like top 10 frequently asked questions, it might be at number two or number one. Is it free to enter? So it does matter. It does draw people in. So that's where I'm stuck. And um, yeah, I don't know what the solution is for, for the artists. That's uh... another thing I just thought of is like, how do you track who's paid? Like, what if I want to like leave to go get food and come back in? How, like, are you just going to stamp people's hands? What if, what if I got real sweaty hands, you know? And like the next step up is like a lanyard, like they have at those like anime yeah. expos and stuff. but how much does it cost then to give everyone a lanyard with a badge that says that they're, you know, they're either a main event competitor or, or just regular GP entrant that paid their $5. And at that point, are you like cutting into the $5 that you're supposed to be giving to the vendors where now you might as well just be giving that money to the vendors in the first place? Right. Yeah. Derek, you wanted to chime in on that point? Yeah, I was just going to say, like, if they have card stamps, like, if they literally stamp thousands of cards for a limited GP, I think they can figure out a way to stamp our hands or <laughs> to, like, give us some lanyards, you know? Like, I, I don't believe that the stamping process is always 100%, but, like, I'm sure they could figure it out. You know, like, we, we collectively, all of us Magic players together, just be like, yeah, you know what? Like, sweaty hands guy, just wear some gloves for the day. You know, like... But- but are you going to pay $5 every day you go to the Grand Prix? I'm... Oh, 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 oh. I mean, like, I don't pay the main event fee every single day I go. Like, yeah, but that's because it's free to enter. But, like, so you're saying every time someone wants to walk into the convention center, they're going to have to say, I'm in the main event. Then they're going to have to verify that you're in the main event. And then if yeah. you're not, if you're just a spectator, you have to pay $5 every day. I mean, that's I mean, horrendously slow. It's possible that, like, that's the best way to get people to pay for main event tickets is, like, you can play in the main event and you get a weekend pass, or you can get a day pass for X amount of money, or you can get a weekend pass for X amount of money, uh, or, I don't know, maybe there's another alternative. But, like, one of the reasons why we're talking about paying this um, fee to go into the hall is because like the main event players are sort of like subsidizing the cost, right? If I'm a main event player, I don't expect to pay an extra five dollars to go to the goddamn event hall. You know what I mean? It's like, why would I do that? It's just wasting more of my money. It just defeats the purpose of the conversation, right? So like to me, like if they want to prove that I'm in the main event, yeah, let's go. Like I'll give you my DCI, whatever. But like as a person who might just want to go there, like maybe there's a weekend pass I can buy, or maybe there's or whatever, you know, like they're already starting to enforce higher security um, due to the crazy things that are happening in the States recently at pro tours. I would not be surprised in the next couple of years, they started enforcing them at GPs or even other ways to monetize these things. Right. 
well, 400 people going through the door of a PT, or maybe even 500 if it's a large one, is a lot different than 3,000 or 4,000 people going to a Grand Prix, you know, especially in and out, in and out, in and out. Like, it's going to add up. It's going to cost so much more money than doing it a Pro Tour. I, I agree with you. I'm not saying it's easy, but I do think it's something that is going to have to happen eventually. Magic's getting really big. Magic is getting very, very, very big. And it's, uh, it's, it's not something that like, is like, oh, this can't happen. Magic's too big. It's like, nah, they'll figure out a way. It, it might make our lives a little bit difficult, but they'll figure out a way, you know? I'm going to give some shout-outs to PSAMs in the chat. What's uh, up, Phil? Phil now attended DreamHack uh, along with Jerry T. Um, and uh, Jerry T... I forget what, what package uh, he paid, but he was competing at, in the Shadowverse tournament, so, so that's another cost. But uh, I think for general admission one day, I'm trying to Google it really quick, was, was 35 bucks, 43.25 with taxes and fees. And I think what Elliot is making me think is that the baseline, the base has to be higher than five bucks if they're going to go the bracelet route that, that DreamHack did. And so that like the artists actually get something beyond that, I think it's going to have to be a higher price point. And that, that's what it's all this discussion is convincing me of. And uh, maybe uh, that, that not only that, but there's more stuff to do. Like you, you enter and, and like DreamHack, I go in, I'm paying a lot. I'm not competing in anything, but there, there's a lot of interesting stuff and free stuff, giveaways. There's like, um, you could the perks that me and Phil took advantage of. You could have like a free monster all day. Just go go up to the booth and get one. So maybe there's just like additional perks at these Magic Fests if we we have some sort of like vendor entrance fee. So, anyways, we'll, we'll drop this for now and let's just jump into the meat of things. Um, into some modern and we we published. Final, we keep updating Final Nub's uh, guide in the First Strike Nation, which you could get at patreon.com slash first strike. He's, he's 25 matchups. I'm, I'm trying to condense all his notes into a nice little PDF. Um, and I was surprised, like, when I had Cyrus on on my other show, he, he felt Dredge was, was likely the most powerful. Talking to John, kind of swayed back and forth, saying, ah, not really, just, just play whatever you feel good with. Now chatting with him again, hey, uh, Dredge is kind of really good. Uh, John, where's your head at right now? I think that modern is very rock, paper, scissors, C. I think that no deck is like broken. And it's it just like you just got to win. You just got to play a powerful, proactive deck and you just got to win the matchup lottery game. That's where I'm at. Um, I, I'm testing a few other things, but I'm probably going to play run it back. I feel obligated to just run back Dredge given that I want uh, Vegas with it. Um, like, I just can't understate. Like overstate how good Creeping Cho is. Not only has it made the creature matchups um, good by changing the clock significantly, three lightning helix is really good, but also it's giving you so much weapon um, and a tool to race credibly against your bad matchups, which are really uh, big mana and combo that are faster than you. And the fact that you know it, you're sacrificing a bit of consistency to um, get get those benefits. And it's really good. It's like it's like a turn three and a half, turn four deck now. So Dredge is still kind of highly recommended. Um, I've talked to you before about about modern. Um, I think KCI is very good. 
it's probably if you can play it if you it's probably an excellent deck i know andy will probably agree um it has a lot of complexity to it but um it has a lot of free wins it's very resilient and i think hardened skill is another um very very uh underrated deck right now um i think that with blue white not being around anymore with path and terminus which are very hard to beat and stony silence um i think uh hardened skills can uh run amok and you know just beat up on all the creature decks with their uh, ballista draws and then just have like an whoops i beat i kill you on turn three with the uh, ink ne nexus uh draws as well as instant stirring uh, letting you search up um a, for a lot of your uh, good artifact hate as well so those are those are those are where I'm at in terms of modern right now. I think um, Moxel is very good. I think Ancient Staring is very good, and I think Faithless Looting is very good. And I know a couple of Star City guys have um, noted that that's like the pillar of the format right now, and I completely agree. If you aren't playing with those cards, you better have a pretty damn good reason to do so. Um, just just your quick, uh, John, your thoughts. Um, I, there's a lot of Twitter chatter about what to play this upcoming weekend, the weekend after, whether it be SCG Baltimore, GP Portland, the RPTQ, and uh, someone named uh, Arctic Mebo posted, someone ship me a scales cyborg guy, please. And then like the first couple of replies, like Emma Handy jumps in, don't, don't play. And then the person goes, don't play it. And a lot of people discouraging her to play it to the point where she goes, her follow-up tweet is, wow, I'm never posting about modern decks again, lol. So uh, I guess you respect Hardened Scales more than the, the general populace. I think so, and I, I think I really can't overstate the fact that there is a instant stirring, there's like a draw five, or look at five, basically for a back-breaking piece, like a damping sphere against Prawn or a Graph Digger's Cage against Storm. I think that's super powerful, and I think there's just a lot of equity to be had playing a deck that's not well-known, that's not very intuitive with the math and the hardened scale and, like, Ravager. Um, I think Matt Nass mentioned that, you know, when he was playing um, hardened scale and, and having a lot of good success with it, they, he had a lot of free kills where the opponent left themselves dead on board because they didn't recognize the lines and, and the math that would enable a kill for Matt Nass next turn. And I, I, I can't be understated that playing an unknown factor, like I, I get this all the time, Grand, people don't know what to play, when they out, et cetera. I just like that factor might be less pronounced in the field of players, like in the RPTQ, but I, I still think it has a significant amount, non-negligible amount of equity in um, your, um, by playing a deck that's complicated that, where, that people don't understand. Same with KCI. Hmm. All right, let's, let's go to you, Andy. What, you're close to playing KCI as uh, your weapon of choice. Yeah, I, I always assumed I was too stupid to play KCI, and I'm probably right, but I hope the deck is actually that good is kind of where I'm sitting. So I was originally just going to play humans, and I thought that would be a fine choice, but what happened is during a bunch of my testing, the metagame got even faster, and humans is actually like a turn too slow in a lot of matchups. So I decided that I actually don't think I can play humans. And then from there, I was in like a nightmare mode where I'm just desperately trying to figure out what I could possibly play. And so the next thing I tried was some uh, Hollow One Arclight Phoenix decks and some Hollow One decks and then just like <clears throat> a lot of different those strategies. I tried Dredge. Actually, I still like Mono Red Hollow One. I think it's a good deck. And uh, it's like my second choice 
for uh, the RPTQ, I think. I think it's really fast. And I also uh, still think Dredge is okay. What happened is just like anytime someone else was playing a combo deck and I was playing Dredge, I just died. And then sometimes the fair draws from other decks would just beat me anyway. So then I went to KCI because <clears throat> it's just one of the best decks. And I just tested it a lot. And even playing it on Magic Online, there's just a lot. Like It's super difficult to play on Magic Online. But I found I was still doing okay. Like 4-1-ing and 3-2-ing where like a lot of my losses were just because I couldn't win in time. Or I couldn't uh, do, uh, yeah, I couldn't like combo enough or I wasn't familiar with the deck and I understood that they were mistakes. So I think that overall the deck is incredibly powerful and uh, once I learn how to wield it, you better watch out, RPTQ Toronto. (laughs) (laughs) I'm hyped, I'm hyped. Ellie, are you you playing RPTQ? Yeah, I'm going to play Montreal, which is the weekend after. So luckily I have a bit more time to figure it out. Uh, I was like super lost for what I should play. I qualified playing Hollow One and like played that deck for, I don't know, five or five months straight maybe. And I thought I was very proficient at it, but just playing it on Magic Online when Dredge is like a really popular deck in the meta, it's kind of hard to be playing a deck like Hollow One because your game plan when they have a rest in peace is very weak. You have no way to deal with a resolved rest in peace. Your game plan becomes casting flame wake phoenixes and hoping to get lucky with uh, goblin lore because you have no backup plan of the delve creatures and no and you lose all your ability to grind out which is a huge detriment against decks like blue white especially when uh they have things like bane slayer angel angel and lyra dawnbringer where you don't just get to cast a flame wake phoenix on turn six and they have to path to exile it and then your next flame wake phoenix is just good so i was really like, I really didn't want to play Hollow One because of that. I tried some of the mono red Hollow Ones, like Andy was saying. I tried mono red Steamkin with Flame, or with uh, Arcalite Phoenix, sorry. And both of them felt like it was close, but not quite there. I don't think it's a modern power level deck yet. Maybe it's just because Gutshot is like a very bad magic card, and people are kind of being baited into playing in those decks because it seems so attractive, just a free spell. It's certainly no Gitaxium Probe, which I think would definitely be pushing this deck over the edge, but who knows what Modern looks like with Gitaxium Probe. Um, so as of this morning, I messaged someone asking to borrow KCI, and that's kind of my plan for going forward. Uh, just going to try to grind the deck as much as possible. I have like 15 lifetime matches with mono with uh, KCI on my belt, and I think the deck's very strong. I think it it definitely shares some of the weaknesses of Hollow One and and some of the other decks like Dredge we were talking about, where if your opponent plays a Rest in Peace, you kind of have you you have to warp your game plan around the card Rest in Peace at least, and especially Stony Silence as well if you're playing KCI. But I think that the deck just has the tools to beat those. We saw Piotr Golgowski playing Spine of Saw in his main deck, coming second at a Grand Prix a few weeks ago. I know that just watching his stream he's moved on he's like a sigh in his main deck now even more outs um you know obviously side in your main deck doesn't really help against sideboard hate but you know just having more of these cards that are good against the sideboard hate cards allowing you to win games where maybe you shouldn't if you're a combo deck and your opponent has their hate piece um so yeah i, th- I think it's super flexible i think it could beat the hate cards and that's the sh- the sure sign of your combo deck is busted i also think that if you're not a combo player or if you're not confident in your ability to pick up KCI, I think that Band Spirits is 
probably where you want to be. It's definitely definitely the best level zero deck. If you're not really a modern player, maybe you queued playing sealed or just haven't touched the format in four months. Advanced Spirits is, I think, a really good place to be. It's a little bit more interactive than Humans is, and it has a little bit more kind of busted draws, like two double draw skull camp uh, captain in fair matchups. And I, I just think that one of those two decks is where you want to be. Dredge probably a close third. Hmm. Seems like John's nodding in agreement. I'm not going to ask for Derek's opinion. Uh, Andy, what would be the best way for someone to test? KCI, are you just grinding on Moto? Because a lot of people, like Shaheen, complain about how a lot of people complain about how hard it is to play the deck online. Is that a good use of uh, time? Is it efficient? Is it efficient? Um, I think the most efficient thing you could probably do if you're like starting from ground zero is like read one of these like 60 page manifestos on the deck <laughs> and uh, try to learn from one of those. And then I think you just. Uh, I think goldfishing is actually just useful. Like literally laying out the loops and explain it to yourself in the mirror before work or uh, do whatever it takes. I think <laughs> that it would actually be helpful. I genuinely think if you just do the loop by yourself, it'll be helpful or do some of the loops by yourself. But uh, Moto is sort of efficient because you have like a real life person playing, but testing in paper would be better. But testing in paper is just like, Ugh, who does that? <laughs> Have you read? Did you start from zero? Did you read a manifesto? Is there one person that you would recommend whose, whose KCI stuff is good? Uh, oh, no. Uh, so there's like a 66-page guide that was wow. written by, uh, I don't know who, but I saw it on Twitter. El- Elliot has it somewhere. I think he posted it to me today as well. Uh, I'll try to dig it up. I, I also know. Another shout out to Piotr Glugasi. He's writing an article that's going to be up on Hararia sometime this week. That's probably going to be another great resource for running Dredge for the RPTQ. KCI yeah. or Dredge? Case, he means KCI. Okay. okay. But, yeah, uh, yeah. Also, like Matt Nass has written an article like, hey, here are the loops. There's some, these are the loops videos from TCG Player. I've, I've watched it all. <laughs> like recommended viewing? Uh, the TCG Player, like, uh, KCI breakdown or whatever was actually pretty helpful. It like visualized the loops and I would actually say it's pretty good. It like the guy it's sort of corny, but it does a really good job what it's trying to do. <laughs> Sweet. Getting uh, some, some approval from final nub as well in our little private chat here. Um, okay. Derek, what have you been grinding for a week now? Are you still on that standard trophy grind? And will I you am. Yeah, that Jeskai's a good deck. <laughs> no more talking about Je- whether Jeskai's a good deck or not. Uh, I don't think the internet can handle that anymore. Yeah, uh, I think between me and the internet, somebody's too stubborn, and I don't want to find out who is. Um, I played. Uh, I, I actually played the Popper Challenge this Sunday after uh, 0-2-ing the limited PTQ. So that was fun. Um, I went four three to get my money back. Popper's very difficult. All three of my losses were my fault because I made a slight misstep somewhere or I made a series of plays that were like wrong in a sequence uh, that cost me a match. Um, for example, I, I was playing the blue-red um, like Delver deck, but I, I didn't actually have Delver in my deck. 
And I allowed a, a circle of prot blue to resolve, thinking I could beat it in like 10 turns. And I ended up not being able to beat it and having no cards in my library. So uh, that was a mistake on my part. Um, the, the format is very difficult. And I think with Wizards giving more incentive for people to play uh, Popper, you'll, you'll see a lot more players picking it up and there'll be a lot more content articles on Popper, a lot more um, in-depth deck guides. And then you also have UMA coming out, which shakes up the format a bit with certain cards like Fire Ice being printed at Common for the first time, uh, which is something that I found out was pretty interesting this weekend also. To me, um, I think... I'm going to be playing a bit more popper. I might start playing the popper challenges on the weekends just to open up my horizons and then eventually maybe start playing the legacy challenges and the vintage challenges. But other than that, just grinding standard, trying to get into arena, trying to get the hang of that. And that's about it. That's all I got going on. No modern for me. I'm not qualified. Thank, thank goodness. So, so can, can you recap? Actually, Elliot, can you recap your feelings? Um, that that we only had that discussion on Jessica that we were only able to to have in our private Facebook combo. Oh yeah, okay. So I think that every deck in standard except for green black is bad. Just all of them. I think green black just has the best cards. Uh, but the problem with green black having the best cards, it has like the best mythics. The, but its problem is that it can't play all of the cards at the same time to beat every angle that it's being attacked at. Like. The blue, the mono blue deck is attacking like as a tempo game plan. The the white red aggressive decks are trying to aggro it out. The Jeskai control decks or Jeskai mid range, whatever you want to call it, are trying to go over the top of it. And it just can't play all the tools to beat everything, and also be winning the mirror. That's a super grind fest with people slamming Carnage Tyrant after Carnage Tyrant kind of deal. So it it can't keep winning, and it will never keep winning. But all the other decks suck. So at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter what you're playing in standard. If you're a good cards player, then probably play the good cards deck, play black green. If you like playing control, Jeskai is a perfectly reasonable choice, even though it sucks. If you like playing aggro, white red is a perfectly reasonable choice, even though it sucks. And enjoy the format. This is when standard's good, is when nothing's busted. Even though black green has the best cards, it's even power level. I think this is a great standard format, but everything sucks. Yeah, yeah. What, what happened to Elliot, man? Like, uh, no, that was that was great. Everything does suck. <laughs> Literally, every deck other than Green Black is bad, and that's only because Green Black is like one percent point better than Medium. And to me, like, every deck has these like fatal flaws, and Green Black only has them when you build it incorrectly for the weekend. So, oh, don't get me wrong. I don't think that if you ran a standard GP like a hundred times in a row. I, th- I don't think that Green Black would win the most. I think that decks like Drake, oh, there's, decks there's, like Jeskai would win the most. But yeah. I just I just mean from a pure power level perspective, Green Black has the best cards, but it's it's being pulled in too many directions to be winning everything. If you're a Green Black player and you build your deck to beat Jeskai and get paired against it 15 times in a row, you're going to be holding a trophy. But there's no way for you to show up to a tournament playing Green Black play a reasonable mix of decks and do well without getting very lucky. Yeah. I I had this conversation with a couple of viewers on my stream because they saw the, they were burning the conversation that we had on Twitter about how Jeskai players were calling me out for saying that Jeskai was bad. And I said, uh, that is just bad. And they said, how could it be bad if it won a GP? 
I said, well, uh, the just guy win rate is more, um, what's that, what's that word for graphs that go up and down? Oh, sinusoidal. Yeah. Just guy win rates are sinusoidal, sinusoidal, sinusoidal. I'll just get Elliot to say it every time. And like mono red win rates are sinusoidal and what mono white, um, win rates are sinusoidal, but green black win rates are literally just a straight line across the board. And so like sometimes if you're just straight across the board, it's good enough to like 11, four or like 13, two, but you'll have just guys spike these GPs and then disappear for a week and then spike these GPs and then disappear for the week. You say the same thing with the mono white deck that spikes the pro tour and then doesn't really show up at GP Milwaukee. And I think a lot of people are just like, oh, the deck won an event. It's a good deck. Nah, people just didn't know it was there, you know? <laughs> Andy, do you agree with these takes? All right. So we had, we had what I would like to refer to as a reconciliation. We, uh, we brought it all together. We came to an agreement. <laughs> uh, we, we decided that uh, we just have different definitions of what is good and what is bad. So, like, I, th- I still think the deck is good, but when Derek says the deck's bad, people have to not think of it as, like, bad by my definition. It's bad by Derek's definition. So, like, when Derek says the deck's bad, I instantly think, of, well, well, when I think a deck's bad, I think it's really bad. But uh, that's not actually what he's saying. So I think it's important that uh, people just have different uh, opinions on things and that uh, we actually believe sort of the same things. We just uh, have different verbiage for it. But like we both assess like the quality of decks similarly, if that makes a lot of sense. I'm not sure if it does, but neither does Sinus Turtle. So, Oh, no, verbiage. That just makes me think of I'm not I'm not going to let you guys talk about it, but I just got to mention it card advantage but we'll leave it at that we'll leave it at that we cannot open that can of <laughs> uh john have you has your mind been completely into modern do you have any new thoughts from standard do you still talk to marcus a lot is he still like playing that deck that uh, he helped you win scg vegas with no i think he's completely off uh standard now he has no reason to um he we actually didn't like the state of uh standard um we kind of we kind of said that it's turning to modern a bit, you know, where every deck has something cool that's going on, but if you, you lose at playing the matchup bingo game, you always have some weaknesses. And, uh, yeah, so I'm not so sure. I think the Adrian Sullivan Jess guy is really cool with the uh, center on Niv-Mizzet. I think Ben White's um, Big Red is a very cool evolution of the red deck. Um, so someone who wants to play Chain Whirler but doesn't want to play with the dorky, you know, Wizards Lightning Package, et cetera. And, you know, you just want to jam, like, Star Star Extinctions, Karns, et cetera. Seems like it has a horrible um, Jeskai matchup, but otherwise it looks pretty well-positioned for me. Um, so that's something I might want to try. And, yeah, I mean, standard, Standard's pretty cool. Um, I, I jumped in uh, when I first started playing. I jumped in um, during the Emrakul, uh, 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 sorry, Aether Flux Marvel. Uh, era and then the um, the energy era and then the rep black vehicles era. So those are really crummy standards, but at least right now it's kind of interesting. There's a lot of decks that are doing cool things. So maybe I'll give it a try uh, sometime later. Right. 
I'm just going to take this rat. I don't know why I thought it was. I forgot to plug this and maybe get a quick opinion. We're switching topics. The Red Deer Open. There's a Red Deer. I think it's just a regular Open coming out in, in December 15th. And we are going to host some, uh, all, starting at noon, some all-day UMA drafts, Ultimate Masters. Uh, I th- the plan is to have them uh, at cost. So, so $40 drafts and w- no prizes, but the winner gets the box topper. I think there's been uh, some controversy. I mean, it doesn't affect you online, guys. In, in um, some stores, some, some players are unhappy because there's some stores that are just hosting drafts without the box topper as, as part of any prizing. And uh, yeah, that's kind of weird. That's kind of low value. So uh, that's why I'm pretty happy. We're going to be announcing that for, for the Red Deer Open. And I do see a lot of stores making it, uh, I, at first I thought it was a bad idea, but making the box topper a random prize. So like the, the box itself has 24 packs. So that's exactly the amount of uh, packs that you need for, for an eight person pod. And um, having it, because the, I think the EV of a box topper is rather high. So I'm like, <laughs> don't quote me on this, but I think it's like 200 bucks or something. Like something significant, and to have it like as FNM at as like the first place prize doesn't feel right to me. So like it being a random prize sounds like it's better for the, the casual crowd. But, but John, I, I'm I'm sure for you you'd want like winner takes all, obviously. <laughs> but I just see like I see issues with that. There might be like an FNM like a really cutthroat. I don't know experience. Am I overthinking this, guys? Elliot, anyone? I mean, I know that some, at least local stores, they have things like Rare Redraft, where I think the you should just keep it sealed and have it as a mystery rare that you can draft. So if you, if you 3-0 and want to spin the dice or roll the dice, you can pick the UMA box topper. Uh, I, I definitely think that it should be part of the prizing somehow, and it's probably up to the stores to figure it out if they want to randomly give it out, give it out to first. I'm not going to split hairs. I, I think it's kind of buyer beware important to note that the box toppers are kind of searchable. Like I've, I've seen reports that if you have like a strong enough flashlight, you can see through the pack and figure out what the foil is going to be. So if, if your store is one of the ones that's pocketing the box topper and selling it, buyer beware. Um, yeah, I, I think it's sweet. Like they have super high EV. Yeah, yeah, I, I just don't see why a store would keep it uh, unless, like, I don't know, they're just greedy. They just want to have a draft and, like, pocket that value and then stash up on some blocks or crack it open and sell it, basically. If, if they're searchable, I guess that's their best play um, is to do that. Okay, um, on to another topic that I'm not too familiar with, <laughs> which is something that... Uh, John put in our uh, private Facebook chat, but, but you guys have all read it. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Christian Seibold? Is that right? He's read a post on how I got DQ from GP Warsaw. It's a really long post um, about what happened, and I don't really want to get down to it. I'm, I'm going to let, I guess, maybe Elliot or John take it away, uh, but uh, I'm going to read a bit of it. He's like, I, I'm playing in the quarterfinals of GP Warsaw. My opponent He's playing Boros. I'm playing Grixis Control. And they get to some sort of board state where the opponent casts Skyline Scout. And then 
after tanking on Christian's part, uh, he says, go. But Christian is countered by saying that, you know, he never said, okay. And uh, before, whenever there's like a similar interaction at any point in the same match, he did confirm with an okay. And, and this time he didn't. So that means like, why, why wasn't there an okay? There's no miscommunication here because, you know, I didn't give him a sign that that resolved. Um, but it, it does sound like he, well, he got DQ because he took too long and, um, man, I'm sure to get through this. Elliot, <laughs> help me out here. Yeah. So in his story, he claims that during the investigation, talking to the judge, the head judge started pointing out that if the creature resolves, he's all of a sudden in this very bad board state where he's essentially going to die in a few turns and has to peel to get out of it. Uh, and in his post, he refutes that saying, oh, no, I was in a fine position, so I can't believe the judge kind of railroaded me and I was just tired after 15 rounds, couldn't defend myself kind of thing. And, you know, that's whether or not he was able to properly defend himself for that specific thing, I think it, it kind of doesn't matter. Um, a lot of people were confused why the judge brought in the context of the board state. People seem to be under the impression that judges like aren't allowed to consider that when it's actually a major factor when it comes to investigating for cheating like this. And the big thing for me was something that was pointed out in the comments, and I have to shout out Dan Fournier, uh, who tweeted about this, is that he apparently was kind of twiddling a wee Dragonauts that he had in play that was tapped and had like begun to untap it when he realized like, wait, hold on, I should counter this or, or wait, hold on. I should have countered this rather. And so I think that was kind of what led to the investigation in the first place. And if, you know, considering it was completely uh, not included, the fact that he had touched his tapped creature to untap it. And it, it took someone calling him in the comments before he said, his kind of reaction it was oh yeah that happened but whatever i think that this is you know as like phil sam's in the chat saying spoiler alert like player who got dq'd for cheating wants people to believe he didn't cheat i think this is just like almost as bad as burton cheney posting his fake apology like how could he not post saying he didn't cheat there have been people on twitter saying this guy 100 cheated me at pro tours at grand prix i i think that any backlash against Rather, any community opinion of people saying he was wrongfully DQ'd is just like an unawareness of what actually happened and an unawareness of how investigations are actually handled. I think this guy's a scumbag. I hope he gets banned. Uh, yeah, uh, I think that. What was I going to say? I was going to say something about the fact that. Oh, so a couple weeks ago, we talked about that kid from the States who got um, banned for having uh, fakes in his deck. He, he got unbanned because he made an appeal to the DCI and they believed it. And the circumstance was that he wasn't doing it on purpose. If I think if this guy had just not written a giant Reddit post about it and instead just said, I made an appeal to the DCI, uh, here's a copy of my appeal, I would believe him a lot more than him just saying, here's why I didn't cheat at this GP. Please believe me. You know, cause like to me, him trying to appeal to the masses is a lot different than him trying to appeal to the, the powers that be at hand. Right. And like, I don't want to say that 
you know, all judges or all the powers that be at hand are usually correct in most circumstances. But I think in this circumstance, they are correct. And I think that this just makes him look shady and sloppy and awful and terrible, in my opinion. And I don't believe him at all. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. Don't believe scumbags who cheat on the Internet. Um, Elia, I got to ask you about the We Dragonauts thing because I'm reading it and it's like he has all these edits and he's like edit number three. See, like people saw that I touched the We Dragonauts. That makes me more innocent. And then edit four, it's like, oh, forget about it. The We Dragonaut thing is completely separate from the DQ. Let's not talk about it. I'm really confused about those, those two edits. So my impression is that his opponent, like, cast the, the creature, I forget the name of it, the two one that can jump itself uh, when he had a, a mentor creature in play. And the way it basically would have played out is if he doesn't draw anything, he's going to die to the flyer because it's going to become three power and attack through everything. Uh, and his story is that his opponent cast the creature, he tanked, and his opponent said go, or pass, or whatever. And then at some point during that, he kind of moved his wee dragonauts, twiddled it or something, and then said, hold on, I'm countering your spell. That is my impression of how it played out. And I think that like him touching his wee dragonauts is a smoking gun of the spell is no longer on the stack. Because he, by him going to untap his creature, he's now going through the process of registering his opponents past the turn. It's now, if, if that's the case, he's starting to untap his permanence. Way too late to counter the spell. Probably gone through multiple phases. And like the fact that he's trying to say it's completely separate, I think even his first edit saying it's exonerating him just shows just goes to show that like it's even a bigger smoking gun than maybe I'm making it seem because he's he claimed it happened. He's not denying that he touched the Wii Dragonauts. And I think that's it's such a big factor to me of if he's registering that his opponent has passed the turn, then the spell must not be on the stack. And he must be lying. Mm. John, as the freshest to, to pro competition out of all of us, what were your thoughts on the situation? I played a bunch of uh, Mafia slash Werewolf online enough to know that, uh, yeah, this guy had an agenda when he posted this. And the more people pressed on him, you know, like, for example, Edit 3 about uh yeah like this this will uh this uh the fact that i touched the weed dragonauts even uh makes me even more innocent like clearly premeditated i think and like he clearly has an, had an agenda and he's like trying to like trying to clear his name and all that i just i i think he was re-rolling based on the timing of you know when the priorities pass etc Maybe he was hoping maybe, you know, he'd free roll more information on, you know, he had, the opponent had three, three more mana open. So maybe he would play something more worthwhile to counter, et cetera. And, you know, like w- one of the things I don't like about um, these, uh, these Reddit uh, posts, Reddit thread is like people like internet vigilantes coming out and saying, hey, you know, this is, no, this is in no way uh, enough proof for you to be banned, you know. We deserve to look at the look at the proofs, and we deserve to look uh, talk to the judges, etc. Like, it's not right. Like judges clearly know the rules, know how to handle these investigations. So unless you're saying that you are better equipped to handle these investigations than you know old Joe Schmuck or you or me, etc. Like I generally generally tend to believe that the judges have done their due uh, due diligence, and 
he is indeed more guilty more often than not. And his actions in terms of actually making this post and, you know, just uh, the piles and piles of edits, et cetera, and digging, it just seems to me that he's digging his uh, own grave further and further. So it looks like he's a cheater, and I really don't care for cheaters. Shout out to uh, Dale Fournier, just like Elliot did. He tweeted, respecting the clever strategy of posting a one-sided story of your disqualification on Reddit as a the head judge wronged me bit to drum up sympathy on a notably anti-judge and anti-competitive forum. Can't say I disagree with that tweet. Any last words on, uh, on this topic, uh, Andy? Uh, so one of the key aspects is that, like, so the guy casts the spell and he tanks, <clears throat> and it tanks apparently a long time. And then the guy just says go. I I just find it so hard to believe that you tank for that long without like letting your opponent know you're thinking or like signaling in any way that you're thinking. Like even if I don't say hold on, I'm thinking at some point, how am I going to like, how is that going to, sorry, I'm trying to think of exactly how to word it. So at some point it it should be obvious when I'm tanking, even if I don't say, hold on, like I should be like, Hmm, like looking at my hand, looking at the board, like looking at stuff. It should be obvious when I'm tanking. So, I I don't know. Sounds super shady to me, and whatever. See you later. <laughs> so we had we had the highlight of of the show for Derek. Hi, <laughs> werewolf mafia credentials right here. Oh, <laughs> um, the best. Um, I guess. Uh, that will do it for the show. We talked about uh, standard, modern, our thoughts on, on the GP entry fees. Um, I don't know, John, if you wanted to talk about your personal experience with judges as all, I mean, the, the platform's all yours, or uh, if you want to wrap up. Oh, to me? Yeah, yeah. No, I'm good. Okay, so... Anything? What's up next for all of you? Oh, a- Andy, just not if it's nothing. <laughs> Andy, I, I, I got the RPTQ this Sunday. Oh, this Sunday, it's KCI is taking it down. It's locking up a slot, so the other people better be where, <laughs> better be ready. Uh, Derek, what type of non-RPTQ events are you playing? Uh, I hope to be playing the PTQ this weekend. Um, Actually, I don't know if there's a PGQ this weekend. That, that's basically what I do: is play PGQs, go to GPs. Uh, no RPTQs, not qualified. Um, I don't think there's anything else. I think I think the rotation of what is the new qualifier points comes out soon. I don't remember exactly when when it shifts, but I'll be grinding that eventually to try to qualify for the mocks. It's like the hardest way to qualify for anything, but. Gotta do it somehow, but yeah, other than that, nothing, nothing major. Going back to what you said, are you, do you think are you can consider making popper guides for five bucks? Uh, I mean, it uh, it's it's something that I'm thinking about because it, it really the the great thing about standard is standard's really popping off right now, so everybody's playing standard and everybody wants to play standard. Thing about popper is it's kind of niche. Same thing with legacy and same thing with vintage. Right. So like it's really hard to get a good amount of time and effort into legacy unless you really love the game. And then it's like, when is this useful? And for popper legacy and vintage, it's a very marginal 
amount of time where there are standard pre-TQs every weekend and standard GPs every other month, right? So the, the use of information is a lot more needed. Um, so maybe it might be something on the horizon if, if I feel like I have a, a good, uh, what was I going to say, good information to share, but maybe, yeah, who knows? I think the, the format, the decks don't change that often, right? No, it, uh, the, the format is pretty much solved. The biggest difference is like, if you think there's a spike in affinity, you play more Gorilla Shaman in your sideboard. Or if you're playing against White Black Pestilence, you don't want to play a lot of deck with X1 sort of things, right? It's, it's not really like anybody's breaking, over the form, breaking open the format this weekend. Um, the only thing time it really gets shaken up is when there's bans or when there's a new card printed at Common like uh, Fire and Ice will be, and there's a couple other ones coming up in UMA. I forgot who mentioned, who, who, who put in the concept of EV per second last, last week, last episode? Oh. I don't, so I'm thinking from an EV per second standpoint, because the format doesn't change, the investment of producing proper guides might be better. I'm just saying. I'm just throwing it out there. Okay, let's, let's go to Elliot. Uh, besides the Montreal RPTQ, anything new with you? Uh, I have nothing in my sights other than that. I, I, maybe I'll play a tournament this weekend if something's local. I don't know. I got messaged about a, a Team Trios tournament. Maybe I'll play that. I don't know. Sounds good. Definitely and, grinding moto. And, and John, the usual? GP Portland? Well, I got the RPTQ. Uh, good luck, Andy. And good luck to people who's playing at the RPTQ, except for the people who are playing at the Seattle RPTQ. Um, bad luck to you. And uh, Portland, you know, if, if and when I win um, the RPTQ, I might just go to Portland, hang out, go, go eat some good food and play a goofy deck. You know, maybe I'll play Crystal Brand again or I'll, I'll, I'll bring my pet deck, uh, Cheerios, which was actually my first deck. So, I don't know. Uh, we'll see. Maybe, hopefully I win RPTQ and I can goof off of it. Sweet, sweet. As for me, I'm ready to finalize details of the 2019 Face-to-Face Games .com tournament series. and location dates everything will be announced sometime on friday to see all the location there's more excitement i'm just going to announce bits of it here it's that more prizes for sure and uh, more cities and we're traveling to every single province which is the all provinces which is the first time ever uh, over the course of the year and it's just Awesome that we can go to these like GPs, you know, from a business standpoint, it makes sense to go to Alberta, Toronto multiple times, but it's good to, to give some places like Saskatoon this past weekend, some love that there are communities that, that are growing and that it actually makes sense for us to go there now. And um, it's, it's going to be, it has to come like help has to come from both sides. Like the community themselves have to sort of build up. And we, as like the, the number one star in Canada has to go out there and host these big events that gets players even more excited. So that's, that's coming this Friday and uh, yeah, that, that's it. Join the nation, support the show at patreon.com slash first strike. We already had someone. I mean, they, they top forward or top aided facebookgames.com with John's exact list and guide um, someone else. Did well. I can't, I, the name escapes me, but we have a bunch of people just crushing with Dredge because of John. So you guys can get in on as well. So for, for all these guys, don't think we'll have this magical group again that often. But thanks for tuning in. Give us a thumbs up, like, 
the video and uh, yeah, subscribe to the YouTube channel. And we'll see you next week once we've got like multiple R- RPTQ champions. Let's go with that. We'll see you guys.